From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. We're broadcasting this week from Roy's Roller Rink of Revenge, where you can go round and round, just like your own obsessive thoughts of getting even. Are you being bullied at your place of business? Did your older brother break open your piggy bank and Ma won't do anything about it? Come on down, rent some skates, and let Roy's specially curated soundtrack of Songs of Revenge dampen your futile feelings of unfairness. And we have Mr. Roy himself here right in front of the microphone. Sir, it looks like there's quite a call for a place such as this. It's packed in here. That's right. Uh, many of us secretly nurse grudges about things that happened even decades ago. We provide a safe environment to vicariously exult in revenge and getting even so you don't have to go on a rampage yourself. Okay, we're going to get those skates rolling, as it were, with a song from 1919, right after World War I. Here's L. Jolson. I've got my captain working for me now. Jones was the first class private in the army last year. Now he's back to business in his father's place. Sunday night I saw him with a smiling face. When I asked him why he felt so happy, Johnny chuckled with glee. He winked his eye and made this reply, something wonderful has happened to me. I've got the guy who used to be my captain working for me. He wanted work, so I made him a clerk in my father's factory. And by and by, I'm going to have him wrapped in work. Up to his brow, I make him open the office every morning at eight. <laughs> and I come around about four hours late. Everything comes to those who wait, I've got my captain working for me now. He's not worth what I have to pay him, but I'll never complain. I've agreed to give him $50 per. It's worth twice as much to hear him call me sir. While I sit, in my cozy little office, he's outside working hard. Out in the hall, at my second call, with a feather duster standing on guard. I've got the guy, I've got the guy who used to be my captain working for me. He wanted work, so I made him a clerk in my father's factory. And by and by, I'm gonna have him wrapped in work up to his brow. When I come into the office, he gets up on his feet. 
demands that attention and gives me his feet. Who was it said? Revenge is sweet. I've got my captain working for me now. I've got my captain working for me now. A nice song of revenge from 1919, related by Al Jolson. We're at Mr. Roy's Roller Rink of Revenge, a hangout for those haunted by past wrongs. Put on those skates and just go around in big circles. So, Mr. Roy, uh, sir, why should people come here and skate instead of actually figuring out a way to get even? Well, getting even usually backfires. If the truth be told, you get even, then, then they get even with you. Then you get even more even with them. Then they get super duper more even with you and, and then... You, and and then here is Jimmy Lawson from 1946. I just can't forgive you anymore. When I think of all the burning tears I've wasted and of all the heartaches that I bore When I think of all the suffering you caused me Then I just can't forgive you anymore You thought my heart was just a little plaything A toy you could break and toss aside but I thought that you would change and reconsider And the day would come that you would be my bride But months have passed and you have never changed it It's too late to ask forgiveness now I loved you once but now I know it's over or I find that I can't trust you anyhow.
like they used to be. A change has come about. Something new came over me. You'll soon find it out. Once I played a fool, there was that you must allow. But I've been foolish long enough. It's your turn now. Don't expect my sympathy. After all you've done to me, I'm getting even with you. What a price I paid to learn, but now I find the worm has turned. I'm getting even with you. Every time you in your glory but when you found I had you be you tried to change your story now every time I see you blue I'll just sit and laugh at you I'm getting even That was in 1928, Freddie Rose. I'm getting even with you. Before him, Jimmy Lawson said, I just can't forgive you anymore. Songs of grievance and retaliation play for the roller skating pleasure of the patrons here at Roy's Rink of Revenge. Uh, yes, we play songs about revenge so people can get it out of their system while getting some healthy exercise. You know, back in the olden days, revenge was multi-generational. They had feuds going on for decades. You'd be on the lookout to stick it to someone because of what happened between your grandparents. And I see we're about to hear a double-decker of redress. I'm gonna fix your wagon by the 1940s Sweet Violet Boys. But first, Bob and Joe, the Shelton brothers, they're gonna fix your wagon in 1937. Was a wagon driving sheep He liked them mild and mean But he only drove home once a week He'd stay here, he'd stay there He'd stay overnight Till his wife Lil said Listen Bill, let me put you right I'm gonna fix your wagon sweet papa So you can't drive into town 
I'm not bragging that I'm gonna stop you, but there's too much running around. You know you said before we wed that I'd be yours for keep. I'm not superstitious, never got suspicious till you started talking in your sleep. It won't be long now, time to lodge and pop it till you stay home every night. Cause I got a little tonic, sweet, sweet tonic that will give you a domesticated appetite. The more I live, the more I learn. I'm gonna bend your axle so your wheels won't turn. I'm gonna fix your wagon, sweet papa, so you can't drive into town. I'm gonna bend it so you can't drive into town. Never got suspicious till you started talking in your sleep. It won't be long now, tantalize and pop it till you stay home every night. Cause I got a little tonic, sweet, sweet tonic that will give you a domesticated appetite. The more I live, the more I learn. I'm gonna bend your axle so your wheels won't turn. I'm gonna fix your wagon, sweet papa, so you can't drive into town. I'm gonna bend it so you can't drive into town.
riding around Before we wed, you know you said that I'd be yours for keeping I'm not avaricious, never got suspicious Till you started talking in your sleep It won't be long now, tantalize and papa Till you stay home every night Cause I got a little tiny, sweet, sweet tiny That'll give you a domesticated appetite The more I live, the more I learn I'm gonna bend your axle so your wheels won't turn I'm gonna fix your wagon Welcome back to Roy's Roller Rink of Revenge, a public service alternative to actual retribution. Instead of getting even, roller skate to songs about revenge. We just heard two first-rate renditions of I'm Gonna Fix Your Wagon. First the 1937 Shelton Brothers, Bob and Joe, and then we heard the Sweet Violet Boys in 1940. We're here with Mr. Roy himself. Yes, and uh, by the way, I've been reading up on this whole subject of revenge. When you stick it to someone to get even, even though at first it feels great, scientists claim that instead of getting rid of hostility, revenge prolongs the unpleasantness of the original offense. So instead of delivering justice, revenge often creates a cycle of retaliation. So you're better off just focusing on your own business and skate to these fine musical selections. We just happen to have a couple of occupational eye-for-an-eye tone poems, starting with Burglar's Revenge, featuring Bert Schefter and his 1937 rhythm octet.
And we just had the Avenging of the Occupations. First we heard a 1937 Burglar's Revenge with Burt Schefter in his Rhythm Octet. Then Les Brown and his 1939 orchestra gave us Plumber's Revenge. You're listening to WSHDLP Esport. We are broadcasting this hour from Roy's Roller Rink of Revenge. And Mr. Roy here seems to be an authority on the subject of getting satisfaction. Yeah, well, you know, back in the Middle Ages, retribution was a matter of honor. So to prevent everyone from being killed off to avenge various slights, the Anglo-Saxons created a system of what they called Weirgild, meaning man price, which was like a restitution payment plan that put monetary values on, on certain acts of violence, depending on how important the victim was. This was an attempt to limit the spiral of revenge. So, for instance, if you harmed some landless peon, the the fine would be 70 thrimsas, or about 25 grand. Whereas if you harmed a bishop, it would set you back more on the order of a quarter of a million. And harming a king would, would cost about 13 million smackers. Yeah, assuming you weren't outright executed. All right, it's time for more tunes of retaliation. Red Foley and the 1947 Cumberland Valley Boys are here with Tit for Tat. Oh, Tit for 
tat, that's where we're at. It's just like playing a game. The minute you start running around, babe, I'm gonna do the same. You hold the scorecard in your hand, but get this under your hat. Whether you're true or whether you ain't, it's gonna be tit for tat. Oh, you weren't true to sweethearts you had before. But honey, don't you do no cheating anymore. I'm not a fool, and as a rule, I'm not an old copycat. But if you start in pulling my leg, remember it's tit for tat. Get that? Remember it's tit for tat. I loved you 
that's true Do I really deserve it from you? I let you have your way Served at your command Why show me the doorway? I can't understand You're laughing, I'm crying I'm nowhere, we're through Do I really deserve it from you? Ozzie Nelson and his orchestra. Do I really deserve it from you? Ozzie asked that rhetorical question in 1931, before which Red Foley and the Cumberland Valley Boys gave us tit for tat. And you could probably hear from the uh, background noise that we're spending this hour at Roy's Roller Rink of Revenge. Mr. Roy himself is filling us in about the fine points of getting even. Uh, yes, it's an interesting phenomenon. Mr. Roy! Uh, oh, somebody ran off with my skate key! Excuse me a minute. Well, when, where's the last place you saw? Uh, let's see. Uh, next up for music to skate by will be provided by the 1928 Cooper Lolly with the Troubadours, entitled simply, Revenge.
will be to brand you with tears as a fur. I'll only live for revenge. My life I'll give for revenge. When you kiss me and whisper, I love you, sweetheart. How sweet will it be, my revenge? was Cooper Lawley with his 1928 song, Revenge. He was helped by the Troubadours. If you're just joining us, we are spectating at Roy's Roller Rink of Revenge. So, uh, Mr. Roy, do you personally have any deep-seated grievances that gave you the idea for this roller rink? Well, I found that I was waking up in the middle of the night going round and round in my head about, about a number of things. One time I was passed over for promotion because because the boss ignored all my hard work and overtime and said he didn't like my clothes, so no raise for me. Another thing I was obsessing about was that I was dying to learn to play the violin, and my cheapskate parents wouldn't let me. They said learn one instrument at a time, which happened to be my grandma's old accordion, which we inherited. Then one time when I was eight, the big kids in the family all got to go to the movies, but I had to stay home because the theater wouldn't admit anyone without shoes. Not to mention waking up in the winter with frost on the blankets. And and then there was the time some bigger boys beat me up, and I went home crying. And instead of comforting me, my grandma got mad at me for being a nuisance. And one time at work, we, we hosted a visiting dignitary that I was supposed to babysit around the factory. And at the end, I, I put out my hand to shake goodbye, and he just ignored it and got in his limo and drove off. For some reason, that rankled me for, for years afterwards. But then I found out that when I was roller skating, I didn't care about all that. So I built up a roller rink empire, and now I'm a multi-bajillionaire. I own five rare violins. I have all the shoes I could ever want in a big house with central heating. And so success is the best revenge. What an inspirational story. Hey! What's going on here? Oh, for Pete's sake, where are the referees? Looks like a hundred-person pileup. Oh, okay. The referees are starting to help people back up, and and they're they're attempting to separate folks who are on the verge of 
fisticuffs. Well, better trot out the songs about forgiveness to see if we can restore order. All right, here is, uh, here's Roy Hall and his 1940 Blue Ridge Entertainers. Can you forgive?
That was Ziggy Elman and his orchestra from 1939. Forgive My Heart, before which we heard Can You Forgive with the 1940 Roy Hall and his Blue Ridge Entertainers. We're in recovery mode here at Roy's Roller Rink. Not sure what caused that 100-person pileup, but uh, we're now playing songs of forgiveness to get people's minds off their bruises and skin knees. The referees have had to follow some patrons outside to make sure they don't try to settle things using rough justice. Yeah, I think it's time to cool everybody off before the evening's end. We don't want squealing tires in the parking lot and, and skates thrown against the walls. Here's two tunes of atonement, if that'll help. Gene Austin in 1927, followed by Louis Prima and his 1941 orchestra. Forgive me.
Heartfelt Apologies. That was Louis Prima and his orchestra in 1941, which was preceded by Gene Austin in 1927, both saying, Forgive me. We are beaming out today from Roy's roller rink of revenge. It's getting back to normal after that skating pileup involving dozens of patrons. Some minor scrapes and bruises were attended to by the on-site medical staff. And on the advice of the referees, Mr. Roy has decided to pivot over to songs of forgiveness to avoid any violent incidents. Thus, we hear next Gladys Madden with Coleman Hawkins and his 1940 orchestra, Forgive a Fool. Thank you. 
started with Gladys Madden asking that you forgive a fool with Coleman Hawkins and his orchestra providing some 1940 assistance. And we wound up the fun-filled evening with the 1941 Eddie Howard, I forgive, but I can't forget you. Well, it's time for everyone to unlace and hand in their rented roller skates. It's surprising how many people come to Roy's roller rink of revenge to work off their feelings of being treated unfairly and enjoy the vicarious pleasure of listening to songs of revenge. Hopefully they will also find it in their hearts to forgive and skate on through life unencumbered by by grudges. Our thanks to Mr. Roy himself for camping out in front of the microphone. It was my pleasure. And feel free to camp out in front of cracklinjane.com. This is Round the World with Cracklin Jane. We pause now for station identification. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. And welcome, dear friends, to Hour 2 of Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. We rest now from our skating endeavors and settle back for some radio dramas about revenge. Here first is a 1947 episode of Suspense, Lady in Distress. So let's listen. Suspense! The rain was coming down in torrents, washing huge streaks of gravel from the hillsides onto the road. It was getting dark, and I was beginning to worry. I'd been waiting nearly an hour, and then I saw it. 
He was edging along the side of the road, his coat collar turned up against the rain, coming toward me. I eased the car into gear and drove up toward him. He had no raincoat on, and he must have been walking for quite a ways because he was soaked through, dripping with the rain. He stuck out his hand when he saw me, and I stopped. You're going to town? By the lower road. Is that all right? Well, that's even better. Nice lady. Out of the corner of my eye, I looked him over. He was fairly young, a little pale and nervous. There was no real fear there, and there was a lot of strength of a kind. The kind I liked. It's a miserable-looking world tonight, but it's great to be out in it. Maybe you're right. I know I'm right. Little somebody takes the privilege away from you of going where you want to go and doing what you want to do. And you know how good it is to be out. You used the word out twice. Did you just get out of some place? Yeah. Where? That's my business. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so am I. Shouldn't be so touchy with you. You were nice to me giving me a ride. Only if I told you where I came from, it might frighten you. I don't think it would. Look at me. There's only one place a guy like me would get out of. Jail? They call it the state penitentiary. Oh, yes, I passed it a half hour ago. Did you just get out? Just got out this morning. This morning? This is Sunday. So what? The state penitentiary doesn't release men on Sunday. Only on weekdays. Well, they released me. You think I broke out? Well, maybe you're wrong and maybe you're right. What are you jumping for? I'm just racing for a cigarette. Mind if I smoke? No, no, you can smoke. Cigarette? No, thanks. What are you getting nervous about? I'm not nervous. See? I told you if you knew where I came from, you'd be frightened. It's natural. Why did you tell me? I just felt like talking. I haven't talked to a dame, a lady, for a long time. Like it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I don't think I ever talked to one quite like you before. What do you mean, quite like me? You know what I mean. You know what you got on a ball, every bit of it. You like that? I could try. Don't get me wrong. I don't usually pick people up. Okay, relax. I'm not going to do anything to you. Just drive me into the city and let me off. Of course, it would be nice if you didn't say anything to anybody about picking me up. I won't say anything. What are you turning in here for? I'm hungry. I haven't eaten anything all day. You can wait a little while longer. We have 90 more miles to drive, and I'm going to get a sandwich now. Okay. Wait a minute. Let's just understand. You know what this is, don't you? It's a gun. And it shoots. Don't forget that. I won't. Okay, on your way. To you. Well, nice weather for ducks, huh, folks? Yeah. You, uh, all alone in here, Mac? Yep, glad you dropped in. Suppose you're in a hurry to get home, though. Back to the kiddies and the mother-in-law, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, what do you have? Coffee and a hamburger, please. Make it two. Coming up. All right, everything on those bergs? Sure. Well, what's a little onion among friends, huh? Uh, excuse me a minute. Hey, where are you going? Uh, if you're going over to use that telephone, lady, you might just as well not bother. It's out of order. I'm trying to get it fixed. Well, I wasn't going to use the phone. I was going to get some cigarettes. You don't say. 
I know he didn't believe me. He didn't say anything, but the way he looked at me, I could tell. We finished our hamburgers and I paid for them, and then we went back to the car. What you want to make a telephone call for? I wasn't going to. It wasn't because of me, was it? I told you I wasn't going to make a call. I just wanted some cigarettes. You turned down my cigarette a little while ago. They were the wrong brand. You bought the same brand I offered you. Who are you trying to kid, beautiful? Oh, let's not talk about it. It's not important. What are you going to do now that you're out? I got a job to do. I got to take care of somebody. You mean your family? No, beautiful. Somebody I got to buy a coffin for. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to buy the coffin. I'm just going to make it easier for somebody to get one. Sounds an awful lot like you mean you're going to kill somebody. It's as easy as that. I am. Why? I told you, I just got out of prison, didn't I? Well, you don't want to get back in. It doesn't happen to make much difference. You see, there isn't much useful left in my life. I'm through. Revenge, huh? Yeah. With all these debts settled, a guy could die happy. That's a strange philosophy. Is it? What are you driving so fast for? I'm in a hurry. I have to get home. It's okay with me. The sooner I get this thing over, the better. Get what over? Hey, that's a cop. That's what you get for driving so fast. Why, oh, I, I didn't realize it. Pull over. If they ask any questions, tell them I'm your brother. See, your brother. I will. Don't say anything you'd be sorry for, beautiful. going pretty fast for these wet roads, lady. I'm sorry. I really didn't realize it. If skidded into a telephone pole, you would have. Let me see your license. It's... Oh, it must be here somewhere. Got your husband? No. Now, that's my brother. Oh, here's the license. Thanks. Oh. Why have I seen this name before? I don't know. Oh, sure. Your husband's in the department, isn't he? Well, yes, he is. Are you nervous about something? No, no. I'm just tired. Okay. But just take it easy from now on. Here's your license. I will. Thanks a lot. So your husband's in the police department? Yes. <laughs> Maybe he'll get a promotion. For catching you? Don't be foolish. Nobody's going to catch me unless I want him to. Not even you, beautiful. What did you mean about my husband? About his getting a promotion? Well, just between you and me, you know what I mean. There's somebody I got to take care of is also in the department. What department? Don't act dumb, the police department. Oh. Keep your eyes on the road. I am. You weren't. You were looking at me. Well, what do you expect me to do? You don't exactly make me comfortable sitting there. You recognized me, didn't you? Didn't you? I'm not sure. Yes, you are. And that could be a mistake. Believe me, I don't know who you are or anything about you. That's a lie. Stop looking at me. All right. I'm going to kill Ralph Harris. I don't want to know anything about it. Yes, you do. You know Ralph pretty well. No, no, I don't. I never heard of him. Stop dummying up. I saw the license when you handed it to the cop. I'm going to kill your husband, Mrs. Harris. You knew it back a few miles on the road. I could see it the way you looked at me. <laughs> you know... 
somehow I get the idea you're not going to mind that like you should. Why don't you say something? I can't think of anything. Now that you know, I uh, think you and me are going to have to have a little understanding. What are you doing? Nothing. Just racing for your pocketbook. I only have $10 in it. I don't need money that bad. Then what? I'm going to get you a dress. Women carry more things. Here it is. 627 Mill Street, huh? Here, you can have your pocketbook back. I'm going to take the license. I'm going to make sure I don't forget. What are you going to do with me? I haven't quite decided yet, beautiful. I haven't quite decided. I glanced over at him again. I knew he meant it exactly. He hadn't quite decided. Things had gone far enough. From here on out, I had to make it convincing or else. Look, Sullivan. Oh, so you do know my name. Yes, I know your name. I remember you. I was at trial. They framed you. Did he tell you that? They didn't have to. The whole department knew it. They needed a conviction and you were it. That's what I thought. You know a lot, don't you? Listen. Suppose I told you that you were right in what you said a minute ago. That I hated my husband. That I hated him as much as you do. And that I'd hated him for years. <laughs> what do you think? Well? I'd say it was a stall to save your own neck. That's what I thought. That's why I wanted to uh, get acquainted with him first. First? Before what? Well, doesn't it seem a little funny to you, my just happening to run into you this way? The wife of the man you've sworn to kill on the very day you break out of prison? Who says I broke out? I know someone who knows Red Farley. Red Farley? Mm-hmm. He was your contact on the outside that helped you plan it, wasn't he? Listen, beautiful. I don't know how you got this. Where do you think Red Farley got the money? You tell me. I'll tell you. I want you to kill my husband. I'll even help you. Ava Gardner as Evelyn Harris, with Howard Duff as Sullivan in Lady in Distress, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. He was beginning to believe me now, and I told him that I knew who'd helped him make the prison break. When I told him that I'd put up the money for it, when I told him that the man he wanted to kill was the man I wanted to kill, when I told him that man was my own husband, we drove along for quite a while without saying anything. Then I pulled him to a gas station. It's the idea of coming in here. You don't need gas. You still don't trust me, do you? I don't know. Look, Sullivan, I have to make a phone call to my husband. Oh, no. I'm not that dumb, beautiful. But I have to call him. I told him I would. I don't you'll think something's wrong. You can listen. All right. I'll listen. Where's your phone? Oh, it's just inside the door. Thanks. It's right in here, lady. Uh, right on the wall. Right on the wall there, lady. <laughs> Got your nickel? Look, I know how to use the phone. You don't have to act like you're Orson Welles.
Ralph. Yes? This is Evelyn. I'm 25 miles from the city. The rain slowed me up. You should have started earlier. I know, but I didn't. Everything all right? Yes, everything's all right. Well, I'm glad to see you're getting some sense in your head. Hurry up and get here. It won't take long. You're not going to give me any more trouble, are you? No, Ralph. From now on, I don't think you have a thing to worry about. We drove on into town then. I didn't say anything more, and neither did Sullivan. But I knew I had it. He was still playing cautious, but I knew I had it. Well, here's where I let you off. Oh, the rain's almost stopped. Okay. But listen, beautiful, don't try to double-cross me. I won't double-cross you. You'd make a mistake if you did. Sullivan! Yeah? My husband always keeps his car in the garage. Every night, just as it gets dark, he walks into the garage to get the car. Alone. You know, you're quite a dish, beautiful. And there's no light in the garage. Come here. Good night, beautiful. There's only a few more blocks to the house. Ralph was waiting up for me, and he seemed genuinely happy to see me. A month ago, Ralph and I had one of our usual fights, and I went north to stay with my mother. But I realized that I couldn't stay with her forever, and the only thing left for me to do was to come back. And I hated it. Crawling back to a man who had no heart, who ran his home like the lockup pen down at police headquarters. But I had no choice. Ralph was smug about my coming back, as I knew he would be. I kept wondering if Sullivan was actually going through with it. Two days later, I knew. Good morning, Mrs. Harris. Get inside. Someone might see you. How did you know I was alone? I got friends. Your husband's working right now. He won't be home for five hours. What do you want, Sullivan? Let's not act like children. I said I was going to kill your husband, and I meant it. What are you coming here for at this time of day? See this? This little box? Yeah. When you do the wrong thing with it, it blows up. Oh. All I do is put this under the hood of somebody's car, hook it up to the starter, and when somebody gets in his car to drive off somewhere, all he does is step on the starter, and he doesn't have to worry about driving a car ever again. Oh. Let's, uh... Go out to the garage, beautiful. We went out to the garage. Sullivan hooked the explosive up under the hood of Ralph's car. Then after a while, he went away. All the rest of the day, I was nervous and worried. The last minute, I even wanted to go out and disconnect it. But I didn't. It was foolish to be nervous. It had all gone along fine so far. By the time Ralph came home, I was composed and tried not to show that anything was any different than it always was. After dinner, Ralph was doing some paperwork in a housebreaking case. Oh, these reports are a nuisance. Anything I can do to help you? No. You know less about these reports than I do. Oh, I just thought maybe there might be something... Well, there isn't, so stop bothering. All right, Ralph. Uh, wait a minute. There is something you can do. What? Go out and get the car and bring it around to the front. No. What are you looking so surprised about? As soon as I finish the report, I want to run down to the station. 
It'd save time if you got the car out. I, I'd rather not. What's the matter with you? Well, I have trouble getting out of the driveway. It's too narrow. Ah, you've taken the car out a hundred times. What are you talking about? Well, Ralph, I, I've got a cold coming on. I'd rather stay inside. Put a coat on. It isn't cold out anyway. I don't want to drive your car. Look, the least you could do is help me out once in a while when I asked you to. Heaven knows you never do anything for me anyway. Well, it won't save that much time. Get the car out before I get mad. All right, Ralph. If you want me to, I'll get the car. do. I went out and opened the garage doors and put it around for a few minutes and slammed the door a couple of times, and I went back in the house. Well? Well, what, Ralph? Is the car out in front? Wouldn't start. What do you mean it wouldn't start? I don't know. It just wouldn't start. The, the motor wouldn't turn over. Oh, you give me nothing but trouble. It isn't my fault. It's your car. All right, all right. Forget it. Why don't you go out and try it yourself? Because I won't, that's all. I've been having trouble with my battery. It's probably run down again. If it wouldn't start for you, it won't start for me. I'll look at it tomorrow sometime. I'll do what you want. Uh, wait a minute. Excuse me. I have some reading to do. Uh, well, wait a minute. What do you want? Call up headquarters and have them send a cruiser around for me. I could hardly sleep that night. Why, of all times, did Ralph have to ask me to get his car? It was almost as if he suspected I knew he'd have to get the car sometime, but I was afraid he might check over the car and find out what was wrong with it and discover the mechanism. Or he might send a mechanic out from a garage to look at it, and an innocent person would be killed. And I was afraid of Sullivan by this time, terribly afraid. I was exhausted from nervousness and lack of sleep when I got out of bed the next day. Ralph had breakfast and went off to work in the police cruiser. I didn't dare go near the garage. I didn't dare do anything except just wait. Yes? Sullivan speaking. Oh, hello. I've been reading all the papers, and I haven't seen anything about your husband yet. Yes, I know. What happened? Well, last night, he didn't take the car out. Why not? I don't know why not. He just didn't, that's all. Mrs. Harris, you wouldn't try to stall me, would you? No, I swear that's what happened. He left the car in a... He left the house in a police cruiser. He didn't take his car. You know what I think? No, What? I think I'm going to take a run out there and check up myself. Your husband isn't home, is he? No. No, he won't be home for three hours. Okay, beautiful. You can expect me. Well, you could at least... Oh, Ralph. Well, who did you expect? Winston Churchill? Well, it isn't time for you to be home. Who said there was a certain time for me to be home? Well, you don't, you don't usually get home this early. Well, there wasn't much doing today. I have a few hours coming to me, but... What's the matter with you? Nothing. Why? Well, you're nervous about something. Don't tell me you have a boyfriend hiding in the closet. You may look if you want to. I wouldn't bother. All right, come on. Come on out with it. What's on your mind? What do you keep looking out the window for? Oh, stop examining me like a criminal. I just didn't sleep well last night. I'm tired. <laughs> You don't do anything to get tired. Where are you going? When you came in, I was just on my way to the market. Do you mind? I have to get my coat. Do you want me to explain any more? Say, Evelyn. What's wrong, Ralph? I just thought I saw somebody go into our garage. Come here. Look. 
Garage door is half open. Oh, yes, I forgot to tell you. I called the garage and had them send a man to look at the battery. He'll take care of everything. Yeah? Well, I'm going out and take a look myself. You don't have to. He knows his job. Sometimes I don't think you have any brains at all. I'll be right back. I stood there at the window watching. I knew who was in the garage, and it wasn't a mechanic. It was Sullivan. Ralph walked off the back porch and across the yard, and then into the garage. I didn't know what was going to happen. I kept thinking, only one man will come out of there alive. And then I thought, maybe I'll be lucky. Maybe neither of them will come out alive. I pulled the curtain back so I could see more clearly. And then I waited what seemed hours, staring through the window. I couldn't hear a thing, and nobody came out. Nobody. I moved closer, my face pressed against the glass. And then just before it happened, somehow I could hear it coming. Headquarters. Just a moment. Police headquarters, Sergeant Thompson speaking. This is Mrs. Ralph Harris. There's been an accident, an explosion. We'll be right out, Mrs. Harris. Are you all right? The, the window broke, a big piece of glass. <laughs> My throat. One way I was lucky, neither of them did come out alive. But in another way, I wasn't so lucky. I'm going to die. Suspense. This is Ava Gardner. It's been a great pleasure to appear on Suspense which is such a favorite to all of us here in Hollywood. Tonight's suspense story was written by John Michael Hayes. Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear. Are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We have just heard a 1947 episode of Suspense entitled Lady in Distress, a drama about revenge. Now stay tuned for some more revenge that takes place on the Island of the Dead, a 1946 episode of Murder at Midnight. <laughs> Because this time I'm going to pass judgment. 
Myself. Fifteen years. I've been thinking about this. Dreaming about it. My fingers around your throat. Digging into that flabby windpipe of yours. Tighter. And tighter. Till you stop struggling and... Yes. And now... I've got a nice grave all ready and waiting for you. Right next to your friend. fog-bound island waiting. For whom? You'll learn the answer in just a moment in tonight's story, The Island of the Dead. And now our story, The Island of the Dead, an original radio play by one of radio's best-known mystery writers, Robert Newman. A story of a dead man who came back. It's a small island, flat and barren, lying in the middle of the river. And it's truly an island of the dead. For it's the city's potter's field. It's here that the name dead are buried. Those who have no relatives to claim them. And those who are too poor to pay for burial elsewhere. At one end of the island is the pier, or the city launch docks. At the other end of the island... In the midst of the shallow graves, the squat stone building where the watchman lives. It's 11.30 at night now, and he's sitting in the office, reading a paper, and listening to the river sounds when... Who's there? Who's that? I said, who's there? Who the devil are you? What do you want? I think that this is where I'm supposed to come. What do you mean? Hey, wait a minute. Are you the new relief man? My name is Simon. I'm Hallity. From now on, lay off that stuff, will you? This place is bad enough without you spooking around, not answering when someone talks to you. Bad? The crying bells, you know what the job is, don't you? Receiving the stiffs that they send out. Keeping the records and digging the graves. You'd be all alone. Except for Joe, the guy that runs the launch up at the other end of the island. He only comes out when he has to. Yes, I know. Well, I'll go change me shirt and blow. I didn't think they're going to be able to get a relief man until next week. I'm sure glad you got out here tonight. This place was really starting to get me down. And I'll be out in a couple of minutes. Three of them. What for? 
because they'll be needed before the night is over. Huh? You mean they called up and told you to get them ready? It's funny. I didn't hear the phone. No. No one phoned. Well, then, then why are you doing it? I told you. I think they'll be needed. You, you think? Uh, look, I'm going right now. Uh, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow night. Unless I decide not to come back at all. I don't get it. Who are you talking about? And when did I see him? The new relief man. Just came out about a half hour ago. You must have seen him. This is the only way you can get out to the island. That's why I don't get it. If anybody did come out to the island, I'd be bound to see him. But no one did. Not tonight. What? What do you mean? I mean I only made one trip out tonight. I didn't have no passengers. At least not live ones. All I brought out was a stiff. Hello? Mr. Marsh? Yes, speaking. Is this Mr. Alec Marsh, the attorney? Attorney? Well, I used to be one. I haven't practiced law in over ten years. Who's this? This is the watchman of the city cemetery out on Channel Island. I'd appreciate it very much if you'd come out here immediately. Come out there? In the middle of the night? What for? To identify a body. To, to what? What makes you think that I can identify it? I have reason to believe that you are one of the few people who can identify it. It's quite urgent. If you take the launch at River Street, I'll meet you at this end. Will you do it? Well, I don't know. It's a funny business, but... Well, all right. I'll leave right away. Is it much further to the island? Nope. You can't see it because of the fog, but it's just right ahead there. Is this something new? Getting people to go out to the island to identify bodies? Don't they usually do it down at the morgue? Yeah, mostly, but once in a while I get some dope after the body's been shipped out to the island. Oh. Well, I don't like it, any part of it. Getting a man out in the middle of the night. This trip, especially with a river like this. Not being able to see anything. Just the whistles and the foghorns. And then landing there on the island where... Oh. For two cents, I'd go right back with you, not go ashore at all. Well, here we are. Just let me make a fast. Okay. Well, you getting off? I, I don't know. I, I'll tell you what. The man that phoned said he'd meet me. I, uh, I'll go up to the end of the dock. If he's not there... I'll come back. Okay. Mr. Marsh? Uh, we, yes? Was it you who phoned me? Yes. Will you follow me, please? This way. Uh, how the dickens can you see where you're going when it's so dark? You get used to it. Just as you get used to anything. As a matter of fact, it's probably just as well that is so dark. Why? 
It couldn't be worse even in daylight when you can see the graves. But how did you happen to call me on this business anyway? I told you. Because you're one of the very few people who can be of any help. Weren't you the attorney for the defense in the Sloan case? Sloan? Sloan? I can't remember. I... Simon Sloan. Yes. I... I'm not sure. If, if I was, it was a long time ago. More than 15 years. But you should remember. Yes. Yes, I think I was. He was convicted on a charge of murder in the second degree and got 20 years. With time off for good behavior, he's probably out now and... and... Wait a minute. Is that who you want me to identify? Is he dead? Here we are. Watch the step going in. Well, what are you waiting for? Aren't you going to put on the light? No, not yet. What was that? The door. You, you locked the door. What's the idea? What, what are you trying to do? That's just so we won't be disturbed. Disturbed? Well, who's going to disturb us? I insist you put on the light. Open that door immediately. We were talking about the Sloan case. You admitted that you were the attorney for the defense. Do you feel that you did a good job of defending him? How do I know? How do you expect me to remember? The fact that he was convicted doesn't mean that it was my fault. Besides, what's that got to do with you? Did you think that he was guilty? How do I know what I thought? What difference does it make? He, he pleaded guilty. He wasn't guilty. He didn't want to plead guilty. Who made him change his plea? I did, so what? Very well. There. Where it? <gasps> you. It's... It's you. You're Simon Sloan. <laughs> dead man on the island of the dead. Three waiting graves. As the clock moves steadily towards the witching hour, prepare yourself for something on me, an attempted bribery in another case. What are you going to do to me? I, I've got to get away from here. I'm a sick man, I tell you. I... I'm not going to do anything to you. You can go now, if you can. 
there. The door's open. Why? Why are you looking at me like that? You, you think I can't make it, don't you? And that's why you're letting me go. Well, I'll show you. I'll show you. I just have to take it easy and... No, I didn't think you would make it. That is why I'm not angry at you. Now I have a place for you. Right outside here. For you and for some others, too. Hello? Mr. Donner? Yes, who's this? This is the watchman at the city cemetery out on Channel Island. We have a body out here that we'd very much like you to look at. A body? What for? We think that possibly you may be able to identify it. And what makes you think that? Well, after all, you were district attorney for several years. What? Uh, Why, I haven't been DA for... What's that got to do with it? It may have a great deal to do with it. Will you come? The launch leaves from the foot of River Street. Yes, 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 I know. Something very strange about this, but... All right, I'll come. Will there be someone to meet me at the other end? Yes, Mr. Donner. I'll meet you. I'll be waiting for you. Is it usual to have someone try and identify a body when it's already in a grave? Although it's very unusual. But this was a rather special case. I'm sorry I haven't any flashlight, but I do have a candle. There. Good. Good Lord. Then you do know him? Yes. Yes, I know him. His name is Marsh. Alec Marsh. He was disbarred about ten years ago. When did he die? About an hour ago. But but that's impossible. He, he couldn't have gotten here so quickly. Uh, not if he was dead. But when he came here, he was still alive. I, I don't understand. Why should he have come out here in the first place? Well, because I phoned him. I asked him to come out. Just as I asked you to come out. You see, I wanted to talk to him about this Simon Sloan case. The, the Sloan case? But what? How? Wait a minute. Lift that candle up. You. You're Sloan. Yes, Donna. I'm Sloan. What's left of him after 15 years in jail? You're the man who sent me there when you knew I wasn't guilty. You can't blame me for that. After all, it was my job to prosecute. When I did find out the truth... You did find it out, eh? When I did, it was too late. You'd already been convicted and sent up, and I, I've, I've got to get away from here. No. No, Not yet. There are a few more things you're going to tell me first. How did you find out I wasn't guilty? The, the detective in the case told me. A chap named Richards. Bill Richards. Richards. Yes, it would be Richards. You found out the truth. You could have ordered a new trial and get me out. But you didn't. You let me stay there and rot. No, 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 I, I couldn't. It was just Richard's work. He said he wouldn't testify. You're lying, Donna. You know you're lying. You know it won't do you any good. Because this time I'm going to pass judgment. Myself. <laughs> oh. Oh. 
grave, all ready and waiting for you, over here, right next to Marsh. And one more for our friend Richard. Now, you wait right here for us, Joe. I've seen it to you, Hardy. I will. You sure have had my belly full. Quite a nice... Well, look who's talking. Me, I've got to go traipsing all over this bloody island just because your friend here comes into the station house with a story nobody believes except the captain. For crying bells, Richards. You think I made it up? What about those two other guys Joe said he brought out here? What about those three graves this guy Simon was digging? Well, where are they? Did you dream them up, too? I didn't dream anything up, Richards. They're right over here. Hmm. They do look like graves. I got a match here someplace. Let's take a look at them. Good. Good Lord. There's a body in this one. And in this one here, too. I see them. This one here looks like... What is Marsh? Alec Marsh. And that's John Donner. Now am I crazy? Now was I making things up? Shut up. This guy that came out here. He said his name was Simon... Yes. Was he, uh, let's see, he must be about 50, 55 now. Probably looks older. Tall, thin face, gray hair. That's right, that's him. Do you know him? Yeah, I know him. Look, I was ribbing you before, but that man's dangerous. Killer. I'm going to stay here and try and find him. I'll probably need help. You and Joe take the launch back to shore, get hold of the captain, and have him send out three or four more men. Fast. Okay, Richards, right away. Sloan. Sloan! Where are you? I know it's you. And you know you can't get away. Ah, that building. Went in there, huh? Wonder if he's got a gun. Yeah. So see. Stick him up, Sloan. I'll let you have it. Reach, you hear me? Yes, Richard. I hear you. Put on the lights. There isn't any light in here. But I've got a candle. Just a second. So, it really is you. I heard you were out of stir, and I was sure it was as soon as I saw Marsh and Donner out there. You killed them, didn't you? Yes, I killed them. <laughs> this is really funny. I'd like to hear someone now say there isn't such a thing as fate. Yes, it is funny. I tried to get you on the phone just the way I did Marsh and Donna. But of course I couldn't. Then you come out here on your own. You thought you'd get me too, huh? Well, that's okay. I tried to get you. 
And I would have if that jury hadn't gone so panty waste and given you just 20 years. You know that it was me that framed you, don't you? Yes. I know it. I just don't know why. Why? Because I've always hated you, that's why. I was just a flatfoot and you were a gambler pulling in big dough. I never could touch you on the level. That's why I hated you. That's why I framed you. Well, I didn't get you then, 15 years ago. But I've got you now. Have you, Richards? I guess maybe you ought to look around. See where we are. Hmm. What do you mean? We're in the room where they keep the stiffs until they're buried. Kind of an icebox. And if you'll notice, there's no handle on this side of the door. That means there's no way of getting out. What? Why, you... So what? Someone will be along sooner or later. Well, when anyone does, it'll be too late. Because that door is airtight. That means that as soon as we use up the air that's in here now, we're finished. Both of us. And it's starting to get bad already. Feel it? I mean, you... You trapped me. You got me in here deliberately. Well, you won't get away with it. No good, Richards. That won't hurt me. Not any more than I'm hurt already. You see, I'm all gone inside. That's why they released me. I must have passed out in the street last night, and my heart was so bad that they thought I was dead. They sent me out here for burial. But I wasn't dead. I couldn't die until I even things up. In the boat, they waited till they put me ashore. Now I've done it. Gotten all three of you. No. No, no. There must be some way out. Some... <clears throat> the smoke, I... I can't breathe. No, Richards. It's getting worse every minute. There's no way out. That candle. That's our lives, see? When that goes out, we're finished. And it's starting.
gasping bodies drop to the floor, the mission of Simon Sloan is completed. First, Marsh. Then, Donner. And finally, Richards. Succumb to... Murder! At again when death stalks the wicked as the clocks strike twelve for murder at Listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1946 episode of Murder at Midnight called Island of the Dead. Once you meant a lot to me, now you're just my used to be. I've taken all I'm gonna take from you. What a fool I was to cry. Every time you said goodbye, I've taken all I'm gonna take from you. You go your way and I'll go mine, but baby, wait and see. While you sit around and pine, nothing's gonna bother me. I've just opened up my eyes, that should make you realize I've taken all I'm gonna take from you. Guess you never thought I'd say 
run along, you're in my way. I've taken all I'm gonna take from you. Stayed up nights and walked the floor. I'm not doing that no more. I've taken all I'm gonna take from you. Waited by the telephone, the phone that didn't ring. Now I'd rather be alone. Buzz on, B, you've lost your thing. I don't want you anymore. When you leave, don't slam the door. I've taken all I'm gonna take from you. And for our bonus set today, we heard Tex Williams with Spade Cooley and his orchestra in the 1944, I've Taken All I'm Gonna Take From You. And we ended with I Can't Forgive Myself, featuring Elmer Feldkamp with Freddie Martin and his orchestra from 1933. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. 
on behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. <laughs>